Good day, everybody. I'm David Irvin. I'm a leadership development specialist and a best-selling author, and we want to welcome you to the Leaders Navigator podcast. What's uniquely special is that I'm doing this podcast together with my daughter, Haley, and I am super excited about this opportunity to work jointly on this project that we are both so passionate about. Haley, good day. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Dad? On the eve of your of your international travel. Yes, yes. As we are going on a holiday, uh, your mother and I, and so we will not have an episode next week, but we will catch up the week after that. And you'll be all refreshed and tanned, even though the tan won't probably translate through on a podcast. However, nonetheless, all of you can imagine you being slightly more bronzed and hopefully a little less red. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully a little bit more relaxed. And hopefully I, using sunscreen because that's important. And I will use plenty of sunscreen because that is important. <laughs> but I will walk the beaches and think of you. Very good. Periodically. So. Sometimes you don't have to all the time. Even though I would like that, you don't have to all the time. You can also think about mom sometimes. I suppose you know. I guess. How's your week going? It's good. Yeah, we just started a new semester. Um, so that's always good. And so you know, new classes, new new things, and. Yeah, so it's pretty it's so it's 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 uh it's pretty good. We've uh you know, we took the kids outside and played in the snow today for uh we're raising funds for uh something called the Snowshoot Snowsuit Fund, which is a a nonprofit that um collects money for uh snowsuits for um those who can't otherwise afford it. So we just did a bunch of snow angels today with the whole school kindergarten all the way through to grade 12. And you kind of forget how even grade 12 students love to just play in the snow. So it was quite refreshing. <laughs> Don't we all, if we just allow ourselves to let go a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So I guess kind of that also connects with authenticity and things like that, Dad. So you were you were mentioning about finding your voice and, and about your, your childhood learning skills. Well, I've I've been reflecting lately on a challenge that I've had, and it came from a letter that your grandfather, my father wrote me when I was, when he was, a was, would have been 1996, about five months uh, before he passed away. Now, did I, have I ever told you about this letter he wrote me? I don't think so. He wrote me this letter and he was telling me about uh, my learning disability, that I had actually been diagnosed with a learning disability, which I really didn't know. Hmm. Uh, all I knew is that I got very anxious in exams and my parents took me to a psychologist when I was in high school. And one of the things that the recommendations that the psychologist had was to have my parents, your grandparents, instruct the teachers to give me more time on tests cool. because um, time pressure put me into an activated, I didn't know this then, but now as I understand it, time pressure would have put me into an activated state, which would have prevented my higher level thinking of being able to make reasonable decisions on the test. So if I were more relaxed, it has nothing to do with my knowledge. It has nothing to do with my intelligence. But if I can be relaxed and not be so time pressured, I perform better on tests. And that has been a challenge for me all through my life. At the same time, my dad said that one of the ways that I coped I had a I had a challenging birth. Um, I had a an oxygen deprivation because the umbilical cord got wrapped around my neck, and I it was a breech birth. And I had a I don't know the exact number of minutes, but I had several minutes 
that I had oxygen deprivation. And the doctors were convinced that I would either, either have cerebral palsy or epilepsy, I of which I had neither. I, I don't know how much is of this disability that I had with learning stemmed from that. That I don't know. But I know that learning, concentrating, sitting in a book and studying has always been a challenge. And I, and I learned to get through graduate school by learning how to skim articles. I mean, back in the day, we had stacks of articles that we would go down to the library and that they, you know, we would have to get through these articles within a week. Um, and, and so I, I learned how to skim them and I learned how to get very good. But my dad also said that, and this is a long way of telling you an answer to your question, that my, all, my, all, also my father wrote in that letter about how I learned to cope with my learning disability in elementary school was to rely on people who were stronger and smarter than me. And so I deferred to them. And part of it, I think, was the tension of living in a family that was unstable and that where my parents had, there was some trauma. And, and you know, among all the encouragement and love that I had, I also had the sense of a lack of safety because there was, there was a lot of anger toward my parents that they had unresolved issues that they brought into the relationship. Nonetheless, I, I, I learned to cope by deferring to other people. So if I were in a classroom, my way of feeling safe was to ask you how you want it, what you wanted. And that has been a pattern for me all of my life. So, for example, uh, I was in a group the other day and we were deciding which room do we want to lead? There was a big room or a small room. I, I, do a I do work in the volunteer area in the field of addictions. And so we were making this decision and I deferred to the group to tell me what group, what room they wanted. And this is a very common pattern for me. Mm. I defer to the group because when the group decides, we would rather work in the large group or in the large room, or we would rather work in the small group. If the group decides, then I feel safer because I know that the group will approve. Mm. And so I'm very attentive to what other people want. Um, you know, what do you want? What, what movie do you want to go to? And, and I defer to you because if you're happy, I'm safe. That's an old pattern for me. If my mother was happy, I'm safe. Um, I got picked on a lot in school. And so what I would do is go to the smart big kids and make sure they were happy. And if they were happy, I was safe because if they weren't happy, I would risk my survival. So the good side to that learning is that I became very attentive and very appropriate in my behavior in mm. that I watched. The other thing that was a combination of this is that because of dad's mental illness, he was often inappropriate in terms of his, he would sit and just visit with a cashier. We go to the hardware store and it would be a 10, 15, it felt like hours, but he would literally sit and talk to the cashier. How are you doing? Make her day make her feel good about herself. He was genuinely interested, but he was unaware of the fact that there was six, seven, eight, ten 10 people in line. And he mm. was oblivious to this because he was so focused in the present moment of attending to the cashier as an example. And so I was so embarrassed by that. I, I made another decision that I'm going to always attune to the world around me and act appropriately. Now, the good side to that is that I learned how to be sensitive 
when when a client calls me and they what do I offer? What's my question? What's my response? What do you want? And I know how to give other people what they want. And I've built a whole business around it. The downside of it, though, is that I lose my own voice. Mm -hmm. I lose what's important to me. I lose taking a stand and putting my flag in the ground and saying, no, this is what I stand for. And I don't care what the world thinks. Mm -hmm. There's a strength at being able to do that. And I've missed that because I'm always have been historically trying to be appropriate. Now, it's no wonder that I have a business based on finding your authentic voice, mm -hmm. because I have struggled so much with it in my life, that which we are most capable of teaching is what we're in most of need of in most in need of developing. So mm -hmm. that's what I that's what's been rolling around in my mind these days and what's been in my heart as I have reflected on how do I help people find their voice and just the journey of how well how much of a struggle it has been to find my voice. So does any of that resonate with you? Well what's really interesting is like I I would I always and um, you know I I I wonder how, you know, obviously playing armchair psychologist here with my like a couple university classes of psychology. Um, I, I wonder also so many of what you struggle with, obviously, aside from your parents and treatment at home, but a lot of the treatment of how of like the support that you should have gotten in school. It's so interesting because nowadays th those are just built into the standard like expectations of, of everything um, in Ontario in grade 10 there is a reading and writing test that they have to do. It's a provincially mandated test that's required for graduation. And actually everybody gets as much time as they need to write it, right? It's designed to be written in two hours, but everybody could have to the end of the school day, right? That's that's not even, you don't even need a special, uh, what they call an, edu an individual education plan, an IEP. You don't even need to have any kind of diagnosed learning difficulties in order to get access to that extra time. It's built in for everybody, right? Um, in terms of, of uh, you know, coping with that, right? And so, um, and even there's so much group work built into the way the school system is that you would have hopefully learned how to manage in groups from a very young age, right? And how to collaborate authentically and things like that from a very young age. I just wonder how, um, you know, had you had a different environment at school and at home, obviously that there's a whole, there's, that's a whole other layer, right? But I just wonder, you know, to how how that would have impacted you if if you grew up like any thoughts on how if you grew up today, if you were a child in today's system, do you think some of those issues would have been alleviated? Well, it's most interesting that you would say that. I I, I believe that in the 60s, this was planting seeds for the changes that were eventually made in school systems. And I was okay. part of that transition. Absolutely. But here's here's what I believe, Haley is let's suppose that I would have lived in a school system that had all of that support in place yeah. and I hadn't struggled with this. Yeah. I wonder today if I would not have developed the sensitivity that I bring into my work to help people find their voice because I just, I, I question that. So yeah. I, I, I think back and I think if I would have had life so perfect. And if if all of this would have been different, I wouldn't have developed the edge hmm. and the capacity, or I may not have to do the work that I'm doing today. Does that make sense? Definitely. Um, I think that's super because it, it's also, 
I wonder about that too. Like even in terms of, I would be so fascinated just even thinking about, I mean, similar issue, but I was just even thinking about so much of, of trauma is intergenerational. Right. And so I wonder too, like, cause I know grandma, for example, example, the environment she grew up in, right. Was not, do you want to talk about grandma's upbringing? Cause that's a whole other sort of can of worms as well. Uh, and I just think about how much courage it would have taken you to break that cycle from, for Shandra and I, for my sister and I, and for Melissa. Right. Um, because so much of, of, you know, the environment at home as well. Um, it's, it's really easy if you grow up thinking that's normal, if you grow up in that environment, that all of these are, are, are normal expected ways of, of the world, because that's just all, you know, as a child. Right. Uh, and then it's really hard to break that cycle. So I was just wondering, like, how, how did, how are you able to do that? Like, and grandma's upbringing, all of that too. Well, I, I think we all have our challenges. And I think the point for me is that we have to embrace whatever the challenges are that are in front of us. But here's what I do find. I don't know if I'm going to answer your question very well. But here's what I do find is that many of us say this. We make a decision with our kids. I'm not going to raise my kids the way I was raised. Hmm. So I'm going to take all of the challenges that I had, and I am going to wipe those challenges off, off the map and make it easy for my kids. And what, what I think we end up doing is proverbially throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that we forget that those challenges actually were a, a gift in many ways. And let's take, let's take the best of those challenges and let's integrate them into our existence today. And let's be careful that we don't try to make everything perfect to, to, to absolve us from the pain that we had in our upbringing. I don't know if that speaks to you or if it comes close at all to answering your question. It does, actually. It kind of reminds me, I know you've spoken about snowplow parenting before. Um, I'm actually going to pull up a quote that I just used in class today. But um, what is snowplow parenting, Dad? Because I, I think about this quite often when, when I'm dealing with parents of, of my students, too. Well, that's when we prepare the road for the child, as opposed to preparing the child for the road. So snowplow parents, as we make it easy we prepare the road so that it'll be easy for the child and we we rob them of the strength that comes from having to go through the challenges of the snow on the road. I have a, a quote for you and then I have a question for you. Um, so Van Jones, I'm sure I've shared this quote with you before, perhaps even on this podcast, but I, I share this at the beginning of every one of my classes. Um, I don't want you to be safe ideologically. I don't want you to be safe emotionally. I want you to be strong. That's different. I'm not going to pave the jungle for you. Put on some boots and learn how to deal with adversity. I'm not going to take all the weights out of the gym. That's the whole point of the gym. This is the gym. I love that. I know. It's great. I think I've probably shared that with you before. You know what? I think you have, but I could hear that a hundred times. You know, I couldn't idea. hear that enough. I just couldn't hear that enough. So an interesting argument. And I'm just curious what, how you'd feel about this. Um, but uh, so an argument I would just, and a question, I guess, with this is, do you think that, I guess, playing devil's advocate here, if just because we have struggled in, in and I say we as a collective, we of an older generation, right? Like I know I'm younger than you and I'm older than the younger generations. 
Um, just because we have struggled, do you think it's fair then to make the others struggle? Oh, I would not. I honestly, Haley, don't think we want to make anybody struggle. Mm. What we want to do is not rescue mm. our children from the natural struggles of life. Mm. And what we want to do, what I wish, okay. I don't wish that these struggles that I had were taken away. What I wish is that I had a place that I could bring these struggles and have support for them without being rescued. Yeah. And that is what I believe our work is when we work with young people. Definitely. It's very interesting. I get this quite often from parents where, and it's the always goes with public speaking. And I don't know why public speaking and math, math's another one, but math seems to have its own kind of can of worms there. But public speaking, I get this from at least a couple parents every year. Um, where if I'm, if I'm meeting the parent for the first time, they say, my kid can't do public speaking because they're really anxious. So please find alternate forms of, of ways of assessing them. And I get this every year. Um, and it's, it's, it's so frustrating because the, how are they going to get better at public speaking and how are they going to actually learn to overcome this anxiety that they have, or at least manage it. Right. Unless they actually learn how to public speak. And also public speaking is like one of the most real life, authentic things that happen in, in, you can't get away from public speaking, whether it be a eulogy or a speech at, at your best friend's wedding, right. Or even just a job interview, which is, I mean, it's, it's speaking in public, truly. I know it's not presenting, right? Not everyone has to be a presenter, but that's how you get better at it, right? And so it's but always- we have nice to time. present. We're you always presenting ourselves. You have to. You have to. I was just helping a student today, actually, with a proper handshake, learning how to do that because she had never had to do it before. Um, so that was a whole thing, but- um, but yeah, remind how, me to talk to you about handshakes after, but I don't want to interrupt. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We'll come back to handshakes. Um, but I think like it's, it's, I struggle sometimes because we right now, a lot of our world on one hand, I can see how important it is for kids, like what learning difficulties to get recognized from an early age and to continually get reassessed to see how they're progressing. Right. And to develop these individualized education plans for these students. Right. But on the other hand, I think a lot of times students use that as a crutch, uh, as a crutch. Right. I don't I, I don't need to do that because that's not part of my 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 IEP. Right. I don't need to do that. Right. But I think there is I mean, we should offer all students supports. Right. But it doesn't mean just because we can offer supports doesn't mean we should eliminate the struggle. You see, this is this is where we need to understand the difference between support and rescuing. Yeah. What kids need is they need an adult who cares about them, a strong, caring adult to put their arm around them and say, you can do this speech and you are not alone. I think of that guy that took us, remember my claustrophobic uh, <laughs> yeah. challenges, and he took me into the, we went, went an hour and a half through Timpanogos Cave, and he gave me the flashlight, and he said, stand right up here with me. We'll get through this. You're not alone, and, and I'm right beside you. That's what we need, yeah. not to let us off the hook and let us out of the cave. Let's go into the cave, because the cave that scares us, that's where our treasure is. So what we need to do is to support each other without rescuing. Like Gandalf and, and Bilbo in The Hobbit. You know, Bilbo couldn't have gone off and fought the dragon and rescued the dwarf treasure without Gandalf. He needed Gandalf there, <laughs> you know? But it's also, you know, you think of like education philosophy, like Zygotsky um, came up with the zone of proximal development. Have you heard of this before? 
So it's if you imagine a circle um, and within that circle is a smaller circle. And that smaller circle is what a child can do independently without any support, right? That's not challenging. That's the comfort zone, right? Uh, the, the, the bigger circle around that smaller circle is what they can do with a little bit of help or support or what they call scaffolding, right? So if they're able to do it with some support, with some help, but mostly they can do it on their own. And outside of that is, is something they cannot do independently at all. They can't even touch it. They can't even try it, right? So if you look at it in terms of riding a bike, right? A child is not going to go immediately straight away to a unicycle, for instance, right? They're going to start with a tricycle, right? Or training wheels, right? That is something within their zone of proximal development. That is something out of their tiny circle into their, their middle circle, right? They can do it with a little bit of support, with a little bit of scaffolding, this being, you know, an extra wheel. So there's three wheels or, or you know, training wheels or whatever, right? But they're not always going to just jump to a, a two, a bicycle or a unicycle from there. Right. If you ask a toddler to jump on a unicycle, they're not going to be able to do it right away. Right. So it's finding supports and scaffolding. The idea is that you gradually remove the scaffolding so that they can do it on their own. Right. And then you continually provide them more challenges that are within their realm of doable with support. Right. So that they can keep growing. Right. And but but for some reason, we 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 have that metaphor, that analogy, and only with with young children. Right. We don't carry that through to teenagers. We don't even carry that through to young adults. Right. And so it's, you know, like I, I had a student today, I was having a whole conversation with her um, and she was saying, no, I just like to reread the same books. And I'm like, okay, that's good. That has a time and a place. Wonderful. Right. But what happens if you tried something new? And she's like, but I find comfort in the old ones. And I'm like, great. Yes. Comfort is good, but also new things are good. <laughs> so got to be like Bilbo. Got to leave home. <laughs> got to have Bilbo. And yeah. you got to realize that growth lies outside your comfort zone. Exactly. Comfort is comfortable, but it's not where the growth is. Exactly. So to come full circles with finding your voice, yes. it's my premise that as we support each other through our challenges, not rescue each other, but support each other through yeah. our challenges, in that pain, in those challenges, we find strength and we find where our voice is. Yeah. And so I'm just going to pose for our listeners, what challenges do you have to find your voice? Mm, and where good. have you been rescued or where have you been um, overly pushed with no support? And what has been your pain points that actually is where your treasure lies? And just begin to reflect on finding your voice in the midst of whatever challenges that you're facing. Because I think your voice is, in, is not independent from what the world needs. It's, it's where your voice is, I define as where your life's calling is where your world's need serves and meets the soul's desire. Right. But what we're after in all of these podcasts and all of my work, frankly, and I, I believe in your work, is that we're after finding that soul's desire that yeah. will come out and make the world better. And that's what we're all about here. Hey, Haley. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dad, what are you grateful for this week? Well, well, I'm grateful to be able to be uh, going to a warmer climate for a <laughs> few days and uh, enjoy some time with your mother on the beach yeah. and to have some to, to be able to have the, the privilege of being able to get on an airplane and go somewhere warm when we want to. That's good. That's I what like I'm that. grateful for at this moment. 
Uh, I am grateful for, uh, I was even just thinking about like the opportunity to learn new skills, like with, I'm starting another cycle of marathon training and, uh, learning Italian now on Duolingo, uh, and just, you know, learning things and making things hard and making mistakes and, and pushing myself. It's just, it's just really wonderful to have that opportunity to do so. Obviously with the support of this Duolingo app and with the support of my coach, who is also one of my best friends. But, but you... Uh, challenge yourself and you're learning and you're continually growing and you keep pushing out of your comfort zone. I'm going to be in my comfort zone this week. However, we are going to, we are going to be uh, practicing trapeze this week. So I am always loving new adventures. So that's one of the things that we are going to invest in. And you're reading a novel, big day, dad, big day. I'm reading a novel. Exactly. Also outside of your comfort zone. (laughs) So there's always a little bit outside the comfort zone. It's always a balance. (laughs) And I must end with my thoughts around shaking your hand. Oh, yes. So oh, yes. I learned yes, yes. on the farm that you can tell. I have a theory. If I, When I walk around the room and let's suppose I'm speaking to a thousand people and I have a chance to shake hands with 50 people, there's a reasonable good prob- probability of I, I, uh, I can tell who has been raised on a farm by the strength of their handshake. It is very uh, skewed uh, theory, but... Um, you can tell a, a farmer's handshake. When you oh. shake a hand with a person who has milked cows, you, there is a distinct difference. And, oh. and there's also something about being raised on a farm that I learned that when you shake a hand and it's a firm handshake, my grandfather taught me this, you know, you got to, you shake a hand like a fish. He said, he would say, you got to shake a hand like a real man. And when you <laughs> shake a hand like a real man, and in this case, like a real person, <laughs> then you can be counted on. Anyway, I will leave I that like thought. That. It's a good, it's a good one. So firm, I know she was the girl I was working with. She had it was too fishy. Had to be lunch. Yes, nothing worse than a slimy, fishy handshake. <laughs> yeah. Make it firm. Yeah. Teach make your, it count. Teach your students how to shake a hand. Yeah, grace and courtesy. It's one of the Montessori tenets. It there. will. There you go. It will stand them instead for the rest of their life, like good character. Exactly. (laughs) Until we talk again, be real, stay real, and care about the world. Thanks, Haley. Thanks, Dad.